Hello and welcome to Banking Under Pressure, the banker's podcast on the impact of COVID-19 on the global financial sector. I'm John Everington, Middle East and Africa editor of The Banker, and I'm delighted to be joined today from Cairo by Dr. Hippolyte Fofak, Chief Economist at the African Export-Import Bank, Afraxin Bank. Dr. Fofak, thank you so very much for joining us today. I should be thanking you. In fact, I would like to sincerely thank the FT Editor Banking Under Pressure. Thank you for associating the African Export and Port Bank to your highly successful podcast and truly uh, for putting together a highly inclusive program which brings a diversity of views and perspectives to the world and in the process create, in my view, the condition for a globalization process that is really inclusive, leaving no region behind. So thank you very much for that. It's our pleasure to have you with us today. So since its establishment in 1993 under the auspices of the African Development Bank, Afrexin Bank has acted as a pan-African multilateral trade finance institution. So from your vantage point, which areas of African trade have been the most affected by the current coronavirus pandemic? As the first pandemic to hit the world since the Spanish influenza almost a century ago, COVID-19 has dramatically changed the world of health, the world of contagious diseases, but also the world of trade. It's been described as the last nail on the coffin of globalizations because it has disrupted global supply chains and highlighted the limit of excessive reliance on global value chain and global supply chain, what we call just in term delivery of component and lean productions. A country could not afford medical equipment or the COVID-related material at a time of greatest need, when borders were closed and trade brought to a halt under the pandemic global sudden stop. So according to WTO estimate, in our view, global trade contracted by 18%, over 18% in the second quarter, and African export contracted by more than 36% in April. But I think these aggregate numbers mask important variations across sector and countries. And to come back specifically to your questions, the first channel has been the commodities. Commodities remain the main source of export earnings for the overwhelming majority of African countries. And as such, the negative term of trade shocks triggered by contraction in global demand and falling commodity prices were particularly significant under the pandemic global sudden stop. And we saw oil prices falling to its lowest level, even becoming negative if you look at uh, what happened in Texas. So the commodity is one particular entry point which affected African trade significantly during the, the pandemic. But there's also tourism and the service industry, which have been particularly affected as well. And prospect for recovery in the short term, in my view, remains uncertain especially if the stickiness of risk aversion behavior to protect oneself against contagion is preserved post-containment phase. This risk aversion behavior could actually delay the return to mass transit and tourism that has been major drivers of growth in countries such as Tunisia, but also Egypt, South Africa, and many other countries across the regions. Mm -hmm. The third component where we've felt the heat of COVID-19 is in the space of trade finance. And I think the pandemic has actually heightened the risk perception premium, the risk perception premium across the regions. And as you know, the cost of trade-related financial transactions have increased significantly. 
And the issuance of letters of credit and other trade instruments has become very difficult. And so has appetite for correspondent banking, which was already battered by increasingly stringent regulatory and compliance regime, which we've seen since the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, access to trade finance in general has become very difficult, especially in a region with pre-existing large trade financing gap. And as you know, according to the Asian Development Bank, current trade financing gap amount to about $1.5 trillion a year, and half of that is toward Africa and Asia. And the most affected sector are the SMEs, which are related drivers of growth and trade, as you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of commentators have been comparing the impact of the current coronavirus pandemic with the global financial crisis of 2008. But Africa has seen um, a series of mini crises, series of mini um, commodity shocks since the global financial crisis 12 years ago. What lessons have been learned from these crises by governments and by financial institutions in Africa? And how have those lessons impacted the support that you as a Frexen bank have been providing to states during this crisis? Over the years, commodity shocks have been the main source of macroeconomic management challenges and rising external liability across Africa. And you're right, this shock has become more frequent. While the world is going through its first recession since the 2008 financial crisis, almost world has enjoyed over a decade of economic expansions, Africa has gone through many crises in between, between 2008 and 2020. And as recalled, 2014-15 commodity shocks also terms at the end of the commodity super cycle reverberated across the region, especially for all exporting countries. Nigeria, for instance, undergone its first recession in 25 years. Adi Angola has not yet recovered since that shock. So I think it's become more frequent. And these shocks, as you recall, tend to put pressure on balance of payments. They've raised the risk of payment default and heightened liquidity constraint of a growing number of financial institutions unable to access foreign currency or clear backlog on LCs. They've also raised fiscal challenges in member countries from sharp drop of fiscal revenue for government that rely on a particular commodity, what we call the single crop economies. If you take mm -hmm. Angola, for instance, all production account for almost 50% of GDP, 70% government revenue, and 90% of foreign exchange earning. As a result, growth in Angola is very much correlated to dynamic in the world oil market, the brand called oil. You can see the correlation there. And not surprisingly, the country has not yet recovered from, as we mentioned earlier, from the end of the commodity super cycle 2014-2015 because of that legacy. Over the years, we've learned that the best way to help countries facing commodity thermal trade shocks is to provide, to go counter-cyclical, mm -hmm. providing counter-cyclical support to sustain trade and speed up the process of economic recovery. The counter-cyclical support provided by the bank has averted trade payment default which could have turned a real sector crisis into a financial crisis, which tend to be longer lasting, as you know. Mm -hmm. So in our view, this model has worked. 
We tried in 2014-2015, with actually learning from that experience, the bank put together a timely $3 billion pandemic trade and mitigation facility, what we call PATIMFA, at the height of the crisis, designed to essentially provide a response to the challenge that I've alluded earlier, the balance of payment crisis, difficulty accessing Forex and the financing of trade. Patimfa is helping member countries manage the adverse impact of financial pandemic shock caused by the pandemic. In particular, it is supporting financial institutions, make trade payment falling dues, and avert payment default. It is also assisting member countries whose fiscal revenue are tied to a specific export revenue and to manage in the process sudden fiscal revenue decline, what we call single crop economies, the Angola model. Finally, it is providing emergency trade finance facilities for import of emergency need to combat the pandemic, such as the medicine, personal protective equipment, ventilators, and other medications that relate to COVID-19. I think it's been a very successful model, and we've deployed six member countries within the context of the COVID-19. And I have to say that early results so far in terms of impact and recovery have been very positive. Looking forward, I mean, we're very much in the midst of uh, the crisis and it's still playing itself out um, across the world and particularly within Africa. But how do you think the crisis will change the nature of trade financing in Africa in general uh, going forward? Are there any signs of what the sort of the post-coronavirus landscape will look like in terms of trade finance in Africa? In fact, it's not just in Africa, quite frankly, and um, a lot will happen post-COVID-19. And the pandemic has actually shook the foundation of globalizations and is reshaping its parameter, calling for increased diversity of supply chains, for greater resilience and advanced economy, not just the US, but increasingly Europe, but also Japan, fiscal incentives to make the supply chain more resilient, meaning closer to home market. Mm -hmm. These developments are largely to shift the directions of trade finance from what I call the financing of extra-regional trade more toward the financing of intra-regional trade. The African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, which was signed last year, um, this is going to sort of play into this quite a lot, I would imagine. Indeed, 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 indeed. In fact, I think in the African context where the supply side issues have been some of the main constraints to trade and growth, to trade growth, the changing pattern of trade may, this changing pattern of trade may also result in increased financing of processing infrastructure for local value additions. We've seen a growth in the domain of financing from pharmaceutical industry, medical equipment industry, as a result of COVID-19, I'm pleased to report that the bank, the African Export Import Bank, is actually supporting the growth of these emerging industries on the Ispatimfa. And you're right, you're perfectly right. This changing nature of trade finance is also timely because it will accelerate implementations of the African continental free trade area to boost intra-African trade. As you know, one of the key constraints to the AFCFTA are actually the supply-side constraint issues in the sense that we do not produce 
enough of the manufactured good that the region so badly needs. We rely on commodity for export and in return import manufactured good, which was a balance payment crisis. So this changing pattern could feed into speed implementation of the AFC, AFCFT, as you suggested, by boosting the manufacturing industry within the continent. And this will be very good for the continent, and it will reduce the excessive exposure to global volatility, driven by commodities and commodity price cycle, while at the same time, if successfully implemented, will reduce the risk perception premium in the sense that the patterns of African trade and growth will no longer depend on single commodities, but will include manufactured goods, which are less subject to term of trade deterioration in the long term. It's an intriguing prospect and one that we'll, look, um, we'll be looking at increasingly uh, in the coming months and years. Uh, Dr. Fofak, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts uh, on this crisis. Perhaps COVID-19 could be a blessing in disguise to a certain extent. And I very much enjoy this exchange. I wanted to close with a very important quote from your journal, from your newspaper, the FT which last September wrote a very interesting editorial on Africa. The title was Perceptions of Africa Lag Behind the Brightening Reality. And this crisis will provide opportunity to see the resilience of Africa, but also to build on the changing patterns of trade and growth to prepare the implementation of the AFCFTA for a more resilient future. Thank you. Thank you. No, well, thank you. Thank you very much again, Dr. Fofak, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to this edition of Banking Under Pressure from The Banker. You can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can find more editions of this series together with other podcasts you may be interested in at thebanker.com forward slash podcast. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryan, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.